Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is an out of manliness. This is an out of Welcome to the Mouth of Manliness, and with me, Nick Noyes, as ever, we are on Zoom again, um, and I'm very, very pleased to welcome, my guest today is Lord Zion, Zion, yeah, well done. <laughs> I've been telling myself all day not to say, don't say Zion, because I, I initially I read your name as Zion. Yeah. Then um, I watched a few bits on uh, YouTube and saw it was Zion, and I've been telling myself all day, do not fucking say it. You won't be the last. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) I know, and it's just the coolest name in all the land. (laughs) It's just brilliant. Well, it's it's not a fun name to grow up with, but I can imagine. Yeah. So, um, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. so, um, Zion wrote a book uh, called Life Amid Crisis, and um, like I read, I read loads. So I was kind of going through Amazon trying to find uh, something to read, and then I saw your book. And um, initially, I kind of like I thought it was like a, a, a rock style biography, which it kind of is in a way, but it's also so much like so much more, and. Um, so initially, like, I like Rockstar autobiographies, period, anyway, I yeah. love them. Uh, and then, um, then when it started talking about, like, kind of, like, you know, struggles and overcoming, and I was like, right, get it. And then um, I was blown away by it. I absolutely loved it. Oh, thank really you. Did. And then, like, it's really, really honest, um, and you're really straightforward in the way you say things. So it kind of, you know, it, it, it was really kind of easy to read. Uh, which is always brilliant, and mm. um, I don't know. I was uh, I, I, what happened to me. I think I'd read one bit in particular that really kind of resonated with me about childhood and that kind of thing. And then, um, and then I was like, I wonder if I could get him on. You know, like I, I thought I'll just hit you up on, and then you were you were on Instagram, and I got you on. Which was I'm brilliant. cheap and easy. Yeah, it did, and it's free and easy, in fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's what I like, bro. That's great. So yeah, um, so how, when did you do the book then? Was it how long ago was it? Um, I think it was 2016, 17, around about that sort of time. Uh, basically, I moved from like your kind of end of the country to the opposite end of the country. And that coincided with me coming to the realization that I actually thought that I was fed up with doing the band stuff. And when that is all you have ever done and all you've devoted your life to, and all of a sudden you admit to yourself, actually, I'm not enjoying this anymore you're kind of left thinking, well, now what do I do? And I mean, to be honest with you, I still haven't got a clue. Uh, is this a sweary show or a non-sweary show? You can swear, man, I swear. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just started writing down my thoughts, uh, presuming that if I wrote things down, I would come to some sort of conclusion, which meant that I could get on with my life and go and start being something else wonderful. Uh, and I kind of failed at the latter bit, um, but by the time I finished, I realized that I had a book of sorts. So I thought, well, you know, I got some, some people out there that would probably want to read it. So I, I released it. And then you found it. Yeah. And I think it paid off because like there was loads of bits in there that really kind of worked for me. Um, and, um, there was a lot, uh, there's a lot of kind of, like, I tried to make it, well, you made it in music, I mean, but I tried to make it in music. Uh, so there was a lot of bits like that, that I could really relate to, uh, you know, touring and sleeping in pubs and shit like that. I could really relate to a lot of that. Mm. Um, and then, but, there, but then what I also really, really liked about, it, well, what I liked about you was that, um, like, you're not afraid to give things a go. Like you've the amount of things you've done. If you took your book and thought about your kind of lifeline between you know birth and there, the amount of different things you've done that you've kind of like you commit to it and you go for it. You know, like making a film, writing, um, writing a screenplay, that kind of thing. And mm. uh, and I really admire that. You know, it's like no, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to learn how to do it, and then I'm going to do it. And I I find that inspiring. That's nice to hear. I wish I could kind of inspire myself a little bit more at the moment because I, I'm feeling extremely lazy. Um, but I think a lot of that is probably down to, uh, I, I, I think part, partly what I have is slightly bipolar. Yeah. So you have the manic episodes where you just are completely invincible and think, yeah, I can do everything and you go ahead and do it. And then you have the flip side of that, which is how much longer can I stay in bed today before it becomes a bit antisocial? And I've kind of been going through that sort of phase quite a lot lately. So, I think, yeah, um, like I kind of have that. I, I'm massive creative. Everything I do is creative. And then, yeah. um, and then I have slumps and I can't do anything. And I used to really beat myself up at those points where I wasn't producing and I'm not really didn't feel like I was achieving anything. But I just kind of accept now that. I have those periods, however long they are, where I'm like, I just kind of just go, okay, I'm just going to take it easy on myself for a while and then I'll kick myself up the arse. But I don't, I kind of, I, t I tend to roll with things much more than I used to. I used to fight yeah. everything and, I, and that makes it so much harder. I, I have found um, one of the things 
that I've sort of explored myself is is mindfulness yeah. and living in the moment, which I find really, really helpful. Yeah. But of course, the, the flip side of that is that you're not thinking ahead and you're not thinking, I need to get this done or what do I need to do to achieve this? You're just thinking, ooh, the sun's out. It's nice today. This makes me feel good. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, I guess. Yeah, there's a balance in there, isn't there? It's like yeah. a bit of mindfulness. I tend, to, I tend to try, I have to remind myself to be mindful and to be in the moment. Like That doesn't come very easily to me. No. Um, but then I also need things to get excited about and I need things to kind of look forward to and have a project on the go. Otherwise, I've got no... I need to kind of force myself in the momentum. Yeah. But I've been looking forward to this. This has been something that I've been looking forward to. I'm pleased, because I have as well. So um, tell me... Um, let's talk... Let, kind of tell us about the things you've done then. So um, your band was... Uh, Spit on this? Spit like this. Spit like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> spit on this probably would have been better, actually. Spit on this, yeah, spit on this sounds a bit corny, kind of doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, but you play some massive gigs, though. You've done some amazing things with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, went, it went well. Better than, better than expected, I guess. Especially for the sort of band that we were. We weren't in any way a sort of mainstream sort of band that that you know should have achieved some huge success and didn't we were sort of quite a niche band but within within our field we we did well and we got well known uh what is it a uh, uh, big fish in a small pond is probably the best best description of it and yeah we we you know got to travel and play around europe and i played with a lot of bands that i grew up listening to which is a very odd experience yeah um one that mostly kind of backfires because I then couldn't listen to them for ages because most of them turned out to be complete assholes. But uh, but yeah, it's, we did well. We did a lot. And when I think back, well, you know what it's like. You look back on life and as a whole, it all just has disappeared so quickly. And it and it and you just kind of wrap life into... Uh, uh, you know you just wrap it up and it's it's just this thing that exists but actually if you stretch it out and look at it at a linear way and you go oh, i did that and then i did that and then i did that then your accomplishments and achievements seem a bit better yeah i think you have to do a bit of that though don't you um yeah. especially if there's good things in there think mm. like about yeah actually i've done loads of good stuff and you think you know like i was saying about your book like if you look at it it's like it's, if you know it's quite a life it's quite a lot of good things and exciting things you've you've been able to do and achieve and you know you're not even you're not ready to sit down yet either so it's kind of i think it's important to do that i really do um so i think the other thing i really like the film as well uh um the zombie one like that yeah. sounds brilliant that's saying i'd always love to have done that you know, like to make a film, just amazing. Well, you can, you just like do it. <laughs> yeah, right. I tell you, like, I can't remember, it's been a long time since I read my own book. I'm not that much of a, you know, sit on the toilet wanking, oh, reading my own book. But um, basically, we as a band were asked to be in a film. And during the downtimes, I was watching, I was thinking, I can fucking do this. 
you know, there's nothing here that's absolutely extraordinary. It's just people and someone in charge saying, can you do this, please? So I thought, yeah, I could do that. So I, I wrote a screenplay. I spent a, a long time, probably six months in preparation, reading everything that I could because the screenplay format is, is very specific yeah. and there's not much prose in it. Um, you know, it's direction and, and conversation, basically. Uh, so I taught myself how to do that and I wrote a two hour long sci-fi like dystopian epic sort of film yeah. finished it one of the greatest achievements of my life you know printing it out and actually holding a screenplay and going wow I wrote a film yeah. and then realizing that there's no way in hell that I'd ever be able to get a two hour long like sci-fi dystopian <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> by asking my mates hey can you hold this please yeah. so i went back to the drawing board and thought well zombies they're like easy and horror is cheap so that's when i wrote uh, meet the cadavers which is about a family of zombies basically and and yeah and then um just did the usual did the usual i advertised on star now and that's how i got a lot of the crew and also a, a friend who was a director um, who I'd been in one of his films uh, in Norway. And, uh, you know, he came on board. Um, but unfortunately, his, his mum died right at the beginning of production. So all of a sudden, I was the only producer. So I had to teach myself how the hell you actually put a film together and, and get everyone to coordinate. That's the biggest thing. The big sheets of paper that you have coordinating everyone to be in specific places at specific times to do specific things that is a head fuck and looking back on it i think how the hell did i do that but clearly i was having a good day because yeah yeah so do you think right in those kind of situations you're kind of running on a high uh and because it's like the pressure kind of keeps you up so you don't have the slump or did you have slumps um, in the middle of it i think it's, it's just it's just got to be done yeah. You know, when you've you've committed a certain amount of money and you've committed time and you've got other people involved, that's that's what does it for me. When other people are involved, then I'll do whatever to make sure that something gets done. Yeah. If it's just if it's just for me, then I have a harder time. Yeah, I like I tend to I like I tend to make myself commit to things. So yeah, I then I'll fucking do it. Otherwise, I won't do anything. You know, like, I quite easily do nothing. Yeah, like one of the one of the gigs that we did was in um, was in Germany, playing yeah. the the uh, Wacken Festival, which is what is it, northeast Germany, something like that. I think it was a twelve hundred mile round trip. And when I look back on that now and think we drove twelve hundred miles to play for half an hour or something like that what the fuck were we thinking <laughs> and just the logistics of that as well it's quite because you know it's not just us we had like a little, little roadie and stuff like that but yeah you just at the time you do it and you don't really think much of it it's only later on after the after the fact when you've become older and lazier that you look back on it and think i don't quite understand how i managed to do all of that but I did, so I figure I could probably do it again. Yeah, I figure, like, you know, like, uh, I try not to overthink things because I think, like, to some extent, you know, life's about 
those experiences, you know, like those really cool things that you look back on. And yeah, if you overthink it, you'll be like, fucking hell, that's too far. That's going to cost too much money. There's no way we're going to do it. And like, sometimes you just got to go, fuck it, do it. And like, that's kind of, that, that, that came across in your book. It's like, no, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to learn how to do it and I'm going to do it. And then I carried that with me, like, for doing, like, the podcast. I was doing it with another guy. He left. All right. Learn how to do everything. Right. I've never done any production, anything like that. And it was like, oh, no, I'm going to do it. That's it. And, like, that kind of spirit, you know, that backs up, backs me up and pushes me along. So, Mm. you know, yeah, your book kind of spoke to me in that way, which was amazing. That's, that's been the thing that sort of surprised me the most about the reaction that I've got, which has been, I must say, overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. Um, is that people, I thought it was just going to be, you know, my fans um, who would buy it and read about the band stuff and not really care too much about the other stuff. But it, it went beyond that. And the amount of people, you know, men, women, some into music, some not into music, where they they got it, you know, they'd experienced similar things. And and even though they might might not have been in a band or anything like that, everybody's life experiences are similar. So you can draw, you know, you can draw upon other people's experiences even if you've not done exactly the same thing. If that yeah, it's uh, like we're all basically humans going through trials and tribulations and whatever, you know, there's always going to be something in people's stories, isn't there? And I think people's stories are the most interesting things in the world because of that. Oh, yeah. Because there's always saying that we can kind of take from it. Mm. Um, So, yeah, no, I just found it brilliant. I really loved it. And I I strongly recommend it to anyone who's listening. Yes, Um, I yeah, because <laughs> then can get some cash. Um, and there, so there was, like, kind of going back then, so you, um, what I also really like is that kind of when you describe, like, your younger life, um, a lot of it's kind of, you kind of, seems like you're quite self-conscious and that kind of thing, uh, which I totally was. Uh, and then, but yet you, yet you kind of went through that and then we're able to kind of perform at that kind of level. So where do you think the, where does that come from? How do you think, what was it that managed to push you along that way? A necessity, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I was just a, a normal kid growing up and I didn't know that there was anything odd about me until I went to school and was, was kindly told by all the children around me that I was odd and a weirdo and... You know, I had a stupid name. I was fat and I looked like a girl. So <laughs> basically, you know, school was not fun. Yeah. And I was bullied throughout it. And, and I mean, one of the things that I learned was, was humour. Yeah, you know, I became very quick-witted and was able to, to dissipate a lot of the aggression just through humour. Um, but beyond that, as I got older I just embraced the fact that it didn't matter because I went through a small period where I tried to fit in you know get the right trainers get the right trousers you know jeans that sort of thing tried to fit in and I realized no it doesn't matter what I do I'm always going to be singled out and that has gone you know throughout my life you know into adulthood and stuff regardless of how much of a wally I 
I'm dressing like or whatever. I, I was just singled out. You know, I, I sometimes feel like I've got a big X above my head <laughs> pointing down, go, that one, that one there. Um, so, yeah, I just learned to embrace that, I guess, and think, well, okay, if I'm going to be, there's no point me trying to fit in because that doesn't work. So I'll just do what I want and be how I want to be and behave the way that I want to behave. And some people will like it and some people won't. I guess that was one of the things that, that when I realized that it's okay that not everybody likes me, because yeah. I, I was fortunate in so much as I did have some very good friends, some close friends. I wasn't, I wasn't a loner, um, but I was just, you know, bullied by the bigger boys. Um, so I realized that people will like me and some people won't like me and I, I won't, adapt my behavior to try and suit anyone i'll just be me and some will gravitate towards and some will be repelled and then as you got older the fact that you were different was the thing that helps you i think probably uh yeah yeah it helped um like getting up on stage and, and doing that sort of thing it certainly helps if you look a bit different um and have a slightly different personality to other people. Yeah. Something they might not have seen before. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't give that side of things that much thought. I just, as I, I mentioned in the book, I did um, at school all of a sudden in drama one day, I was sitting there and uh, I, I was notoriously just ignored in drama the whole time, which really wound me up. And one day my ears pricked up because I heard them say something about a pop mime. And I thought, oh, what's this then? And I listened and it was, it was basically that they were going to do exactly what it sounded like, a pop mime. And that was just at the point where like Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses, those bands had just broken big. So I thought, right, fuck it, I'm going to do this. And our school was quite big, like 1,500 pupils, something like that. So um, my band was chosen to be one of the bands that went around the school to show the school what the pop mime's going to be about. So I did Def Leppard for my first one. And the moment that it finished and I stuck my arm up in a triumphant, like rock starry thing and all these kids cheered at me and that was it. That was the life changing moment. I thought, oh yeah, I want some more of it. This is medicine. <laughs> I'll have more of this. Thank you very much. And from that moment onwards, that was what I wanted to do. That's so cool. That's a really nice kind of defining moment as well, isn't it? And it's almost like that's your kind of fingers up to them, you know, that moment. Like, fuck you all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was because my, my school life changed after that. The people that bullied me all of a sudden saw me in a completely different way and yeah. the bullying stopped overnight, which was bizarre. So not only did I learn, you know, how much the the power of applause, you know, washes over you and makes you feel really good. Yeah. Um, I also learned of the, the actual power that there was in being this, this focus, this central focus, this, you know, you're in a position of power and you have something over these people who up until that point had, maybe they had a physical power over you, but they obviously sort of, you know, it didn't extend beyond that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I really like that in the book, actually. Uh, it kind of, I don't know, uh, 
it's always nice to hear someone kind of overcoming the bullies anyway. And it's funny how many people I encounter who uh, have had troubles with like bullies and that at school, and it's really mm. like gone on to impact them like significantly. It just really fucking winds me up. But you know, I know like at school like, I could be an arsehole sometimes. So it's no. But then I was probably I was more like you that I was kind of if someone was trying to be horrible to me, I was normally pretty quick and could be quite funny and cutting. Mm. And uh, and then I'd kind of overcome it. But then, you know, like sometimes if everyone's having a go at you, you then have a go at someone below you to make you feel a bit better. You know, I've, I've certainly been guilty of that. Um, yeah. So, well, that's all bullying is. You know, bullying starts at the bully's home. It's, it's yeah, their yeah. dad or parents or big brother that are doing it to them. So they fight down. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I don't know how kids cope these days. Because at least I could go home and I could get away from it for a night. But now, you know, they have it online and... Yeah, I've got... Uh, my daughter's 12 and um, I, I, mean, I don't really think she kind of enters into anything particularly like that at the moment. But she might, you know, like, I'm not checking on her all day long. Mm. Um, but I think they cope with it the same way we cope with it, really. You know, like, that's the kind of... I work with teenagers and um, there's no... Like everyone kind of really worries about social media and all, but in fairness, it's all much of the much and it's all much the same. You know, right. just like they cope with it because they they live with it all their lives, whereas we didn't. Yeah. You know, so they they just get on with it. I'll stop so worrying about them, man. Hey, I'll stop worrying about them, man. Don't worry about the you. Back to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always so much of that. I'm like, I can't be stressing about everyone else when I'm fucking fighting an internal battle every day as it is. How can I possibly deal with other shit? But like, I, I think sometimes dealing with other shit actually helps you with your own shit. Mm. Like that certainly makes a difference for me. You know, just generally, like, it takes your mind off of things. Uh, so, you know, um, so when you were younger, did you, um, when you think about now, when you think about, like, now you've kind of got a, an understanding of your own mental health, did you, um, can you look back on it and think that you had, you were really, like, depressed or anything when you were much younger? Um, therapy for me started, aged around about eight. Oh. And that was when, when people first started to notice that I was, like, extremely withdrawn and said things you know i spoke about like killing myself and stuff like that at that sort of age oh, really so, like just similar to me really yeah mm. i'm the same um i guess i mean fortunately at that age i you know i was probably a bit stupid and didn't really know how you go about doing something like that but they uh you know they took me to a child psychiatrist and i saw them for a while um and you know i was always up and down as a kid and then it really really struck me in my late teens early adulthood where um i just it just went my brain just went and i had i was diagnosed as a like borderline schizophrenic and um and like with sort of more traditional depression and i had schizophrenia it was there was like a voice 
in my head, like a mechanical, almost robotic voice. And this is something that I've had since I was like for as long as I could remember. But because I'd always had it, I didn't know you weren't supposed to have it. Yeah. So it was just something that like accompanied me as I would play or whatever. And every now and then I'd act out on, on its, its instructions. And as I got older, it became louder is the only way louder and more insistent is the only way to sort of describe it until I found myself like with a knife holding it up against a friend's throat and snapped out of that moment and realized that this was really serious. (laughs) and I really needed to like try and sort this shit out. Um, And at the same time I developed an overwhelming, um, I don't know if it's illogical, but certainly extraordinary fear of death and dying. You know, I think it all dawned on me (laughs) that, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious. I don't have any thoughts on an afterlife or anything like that. And, and that, that overwhelmed me. Like one thing that always, there used to be a Kodak advert and in the advert, it said the colors of life. And just that would make me sort of break down. And there were so many things that I could not watch and I couldn't be a part of because everything just reminded me of the fact that one day I wasn't going to exist. And I wasn't very really happy about that at well, all. And, and the voice at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I mean, I was 19, 20, that sort of age. Yeah, I was into music. So I had, at the time, my hair was blonde. So I had long blonde hair and I just looked like, you know, I look like a Motley Crue reject and I go to the psychiatrist and of course they just see this thing in front of them, probably just assume that I'm on drugs or whatever. And they pretty much, you know, ignored me and, and told me to go away. And it took a lot to then go back. Like five years later, something like that was when I had my first like real, like suicide, my, my bout of suicidal depression where I I wanted to kill myself and it took so much for me to actually take myself to see someone at that point because I thought I was just going to get rejected again. It's madness that you have to really fight your corner to get any kind of mental health support. Like I've had to do it so many times, but you have to go in and be a right arsehole about it before they'll actually do something. And you're like, look, just look at my records. You know, like surely you could tell there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. If I've been going to a psychiatrist since eight, (laughs) then, you know, maybe things aren't quite right up there. Yeah. uh, Because, I mean, my spiral was just, there was just one day I was at home and I was by myself and I was just, I was like listening to music and it was, you know how music, and it just like completely, you know, you become enveloped with it and you turn it up more and it just seems to be, it can never be loud enough. It just needs to really sink itself in. It was one of those sorts of days. And I just thought, that's it. I'm going to fucking do it because I just can't take this shit anymore. And, you know, my car was in the garage, which was attached to this room. I thought, I'll go in there and I'll sit in the car, turn the engine on. and sort of. So I started scribbling notes, uh, like, to, to family. Um, and it was almost like automatic writing you know like you see these people where it's almost like they've been you know something's channeling through them and there's just yeah I do automatic artwork oh right oh that's interesting (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, I couldn't tell you what I was writing. Yeah. Um, and that just that pause gave me enough headspace to take myself away from the situation. And I, I basically just like ran to the doctors, uh, which was, it wasn't that close, unfortunately. And by the time I got there, it was closed. <laughs> but all of that was enough headspace for me to sort of come back down. So then I was able to book an appointment. And, but that was, that was my first big experience with, with feeling suicidal. And, you know, it scared the hell out of me. But, you know, I don't want to die, ever. <laughs> you know, yeah, in my own in, hands. Yeah, in the midst of your, um, like, being afraid of dying, it just tur- totally turned on its head. Yeah. But, like, that's almost like you're just saying, like, I can't fucking do it. Leave yeah, it, this is going to end anyway. <laughs> that was my thinking. Was part of it was, oh my god, I can't bear to go through the next however long being tormented by this thought of what's next. Yeah, let's just get it over and done with. And it was almost like, you know, my stupid, like going back to my late teens, my stupid childlike brain was thinking, if I did that, then I could just get on with things, (laughs) you know, and then you go, no, wait, that's not how it works. (laughs) Um. But yeah, there's been an awful lot of that, you know, even more recently where my most recent experience was, might have been 2015, winter of 2015, something like that. Um, and, And that was, for the first time, it didn't scare me. And, and that, in itself scared me a lot more than all like the previous times where you know fear was the was one of the things that would hold me back from doing anything whereas now it was just more of a sort of resign to the fact that you're probably going to do this one day so you might as well do it and it'll be done and oh, i've certainly been there i've certainly been there myself so many times uh where you're like you just kind of get numb to it after a while. You know, it, yeah. like people are like, it, like you go to the doctors, every time I go to the doctors, they're like, right, do you feel suicidal? How suicidal? One to 10. And like, it's like, they have to go through the list. And yeah. um, there's been times when I'm like, 10, 9, 10, every time. And, uh, and they're almost like, they look at me with shock and fear. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's, that's fucking normal. That is just normal. That's how I live my life. I've been telling you, you know, this is how I live my life. And like, I don't anymore, luckily enough. I, I had like, a moment when I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I've never done it. I'm not mm. going to do it. Um, and what would happen if I kind of just told myself, I'm not going to fucking do it, so I'm just going to stop using that as almost like that's, that was my safe place. You know, like that's my, I, you know, like like everything gets so bad, so I just go to suicidal thoughts. You know, mm. like everything's so bad, I'm going to kill myself. And it's then the one comfort. day, hey, come on. It's the comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one day I was just like, look, I'm not going to do it. Like, I haven't done it now. I actually don't think I'm ever going to fucking do it. And now I've got kids in that. I'd be a right arsehole if I did anyway. And I just 
basically, from that moment on, I was like, no, I'm just not, I refuse to get into it anymore. It's like, I've, I've wasted most of my life doing it. And mm. I was like, you, you know, you said, um, like, when you're younger, and like, I was obsessed with death and killing myself. You know, like, I used to sit and um, write, uh, like, I always had it in my head, oh, I'll show you when, uh, when I'm dead, you'll see. You know, like, and um, I used to think about all the things I've got and which one of my friends would have that when I die. And, uh, like, um, you know, almost like writing out eulogies. And I used to hide them in boxes and things like that. And it was only, you know, later on, like, it's almost like all of that kind of just disappeared. And then it was only, like, going through therapy, like, in the last few years when I remember, like, I used to do that. So I think I was a bit obsessed with death. And then obviously I got into fucking like the doors and that. And then you're like, well, then, or you get into like fucking metal and that just confirms it all, doesn't it? It's like, oh, this is a lifestyle as well. You know, like Jim Morrison, yeah, he's cool. So, and then everything you like just suddenly backs everything up. And like, I realized that I've been just been backing up all of this stuff that I've been telling myself forever. And um, and it kind of came to, and then whoa, fucking can you believe it? I'm suicidal, <laughs> you know, of course I am. Mm. It's just, um, yeah, it's it's it really it's a really shitty way to fucking live and be. It really... I think we're not, you know, we like to think that we're in control of of things, and we're not. Clearly, we're not. Like, I mean, this this lockdown that we've had for the last few months shows us we are not in control. No, we're not in control. Fuck all. <laughs> and I think that the the option of suicide it gives you a sense of control back yeah i might not be able to do anything about the outcome i might not be able to deal with this shitty hand that i've been dealt but this is one thing that i can do yeah and i think like that's often where the comfort comes in is that if it gets so bad like if my brain and everything in life is so shit i can do something about it and that's in my hands mm. um yeah, it's very true. But I kind of, I don't know, I, I, my therapist has said to me about that you can't, you can't control anything but what you do and what you think. And the idea that I could control what I think um, had never occurred to me. Mm. It took me till I was 42 to think, oh, fuck, what? What like so all this shit that I'm telling myself like you're a fucking piece of shit like everyone hates you you know you're rubbish. Um, I was like, oh what? Like I don't have to think that. You can change the narrative. Yeah, mm. and it was it was very much about narratives, and I was reading a lot of things at the time as well that kind of supported it. Um, and it really really made a difference for me. It was like, like my brain is hardwired from a very young age of being told I was shit to getting older to thinking I was shit. So my brain's kind of hardwired to go that way. Yeah. Um, so then I realised that I have to kind of put in the work to stop it. But essentially, like, I've got to a point, like, after putting in a few years of doing it a lot, that now I can kind of see it, hear it, you know, my brain's going... Yeah, oh yeah, you do. You're, you're, you know, telling me I'm shit and everything's shit and everything's negative. Now I can kind of catch myself and go, and like, like the mindfulness thing, you know, rather than fighting it, 
I just go, okay, right, my brain's trying to protect me, trying to protect me from disappointment or whatever. I'll just go, oh, all right, fair enough, brain. I know you're there to help me. So I don't get fucked off with it in the same way. Go, mm. all right, brain, I don't need you right now. I know what I'm doing. And I kind of just have that narrative in my head. Yeah. And it, kind of, it really helps. Interesting, it really helps. Um, interesting perspective. Uh, that your brain is is trying to protect you from disappointment. Well, they say that um, your brain, um, our brains, kind of like we have the amygdala in your brain. Apparently, the main part, like this part, is primarily is there to doesn't change since caveman times, and it's there to stop you getting into danger and getting hurt and getting eaten. And as we've evolved, we don't really need that, but it's still there. So it's always looking for negatives to make sure you don't fall into them. Hmm. Um, or if you do something, it goes, oh, you shouldn't have done that because this and this and this and this. So it's always just, it's always going to be a bit negative because that's its job to look for problems so you don't get hurt. Uh, and like that kind of, those kind of words to me were like, oh, I'm not so fucked off with it now. You know, like I, I haven't got the. I'm not so angry with it now because it's kind of doing what it's meant to be doing. And then I realised that all through my life, all these things that I'm saying to myself that you know that, I, that made me depressed, basically, and made me mentally ill, was basically that. Right. It was that thing going. Oh, that you know, don't talk to girls because like you you only get dumped or your your mates take the piss out of you or something like that. You know, like for years, frightened of girls. <laughs> it's like, that's my brain trying to protect me from rejection. And it all just kind of came together. And then, like, the therapist goes, yeah, like, let it talk. But you don't have to, like, do any of it. You know, like, you don't actually have to take it on board. Mm. It's going to be talking to you anyway. So don't have a fucking fight with it. Just go, all right, but well, I'm going to do this. And I, I, I tell you what, like, it's really ridiculous and it just sounds so, it sounds like just kind of really glib, but like, that saved me. It saved me. Um, like, I think it's, it, you know, it's not actually being too strong, so I think it saved my life. Because mm. ever since like that and kind of constant reinforcing it, I've moved on. I really have. It's made such a big difference. Because, yeah, it's like, oh, Oh yeah, your brain does that. What? Your brain does that? Hmm. Yeah, it really helped me. Yeah, I'm gonna try and remember that because that's. Um, <clears throat> I know it sounds really stupid for someone that like used to get up on stage and prance around in you know silly clothes, but I don't have much of an ego. Yeah. And I, if I find myself feeling big-headed, I try and like bash the ego down a bit. Um, but. You know, I I don't think highly of myself, or I don't think well of myself, and my internal narrative, monologue, whatever, is not very kind to myself. Yeah. And um, I know that that's the wrong way to think, but you know, you're so you're not always conscious of what you're thinking. It's just nattering away in the background. Yeah. And uh, you know, when it's all piss and vinegar in your ear hole. I guess it it takes over you a bit, but I don't have the I don't have the ego 
to say shut up i'm amazing or anything like that yeah no and i'm, I'm exactly the same and because <laughs> because like i always thought i was shit i was like well you know it's clearly right <laughs> you know like, that part of my brain's clearly right and now because like i'm doing this and you know like you think well I'm, I can't be that shit if I'm helping people. Yeah. You know, like, your book helped me, so you can't be that shit, you know? So you think, like, <laughs> it's not about ego, it's just about almost being realistic and thinking, well, yeah, no, it's not right, is it? It's, it's, it's just not right. Try being in a band where you get reviewed <laughs> and they confirm your worst fears about yourself. That's, uh, that's not much fun. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's, you know, you have to overcome that. Yeah. Because that's the only way that you can move forward is to, is to be shit. You know, the band, you know, at the beginning, you're shit. <laughs> that's it. But you, you have to ignore that you're shit and carry on to get to the point where you are no longer shit. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you get those little glimmers, didn't you? Like, oh, shit, we're all in tune today. Maybe we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you had those little glimmers, which is great about bands. But did you find, like, um, like often in bands, like, no one really talks. Like, um, we're a band of fucking brothers. We're all in this together. We're going to go and take over the world and tour the world. But no one ever actually really talks much. You know, what, like, each other? Yeah, like, in any depth. Um, I, well... Uh, bit of backstory for like i mean i you probably know but but my other half was the bass player um so obviously we spoke um and we lived with our drummer for i don't know how many years many many years and uh he had a severe alcohol problem that we were trying to help him with um which is why he moved in with us um so we would have very in-depth conversations because he was very open um not necessarily with with the other members of the band that we had sort of coming and going so your relationship must be have been really important or must be really important to you because you've been together it sounds like for a long time and you've been together most of it all together uh yeah well neither of us have had like proper jobs as it were. So we've lived together, you know, full time when we've lived, when we moved in together, which was pretty much straight away and um, been together nearly 20 years now. And obviously doing the band stuff. And we started a t-shirt company as well to help fund the band stuff. So, uh, you know, we're still, still together now. Um, So yeah, I mean, I don't think that I would be here you know if it weren't for i don't mean on this podcast i mean on the earth (laughs) um if it weren't for her because she cared more about me than i cared about me so she would research things that could help me and she would contact the doctors for me um and make me you know make me go and make me when a drug wasn't working for me uh, you know my thing would be oh you know none of this works and all that sort of thing and she would make me go back and try another one if you're like in your if you're on a hole you need someone to kick you up the ass after a bit and go right come on just fucking get it sorted out yeah that's what my wife does to me 
just really has to do it sometimes. You know, like on a Saturday when I'm in bed at one o'clock and she's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm enjoying the sleep. She's like, no, you're gonna, you'll feel shit when you get up and then you'll feel guilty mm. and then you'll drink loads tonight because you think you won't get to sleep. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> she's on to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly what I'm going to do. So, uh, so, I mean, we're getting up to the hour, but there's a few more things I wanted to kind of talk about, really, was um, you've, you've always done a fair bit of exercise. Does yeah. that help you? Um, I, try and, I try and understand why I do that. I started doing it when I was... 18, 19, like I mentioned, I was, I was very much overweight. Um, and shortly after my 18th birthday, I'd, I'd gone away. I saw a picture of myself and I was just at my biggest. I thought, right, I got to sort this out. I moved out of my mum and dad's house and within like three months, I was skin and bone. So I had a good sort of, you know, a good place to then start from. And I just started exercising with, with, weights and stuff that's my preferred you know that's my go-to is uh weightlifting and um so i think it's born out of vanity initially <laughs> um i don't know it's, it's just part of my identity now you know i'm what am i fucking hell, i had a birthday last week i'm 48 now and you know i've still got abs and yeah. That sort of thing, and I I look at some contemporaries, you know, that I went to school with, and and they look like they're from a different generation to me. They're all fat and um, kids, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of that is I've not had children, I've not had mortgages, so you know, I've not had those sort of stresses, which I know don't help. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe I've got some good genes or something as well. But I don't know, I can't imagine life without exercise. It's just something that I do every day. So yeah. it's, it's, well, what is good is that there are so many days where you can't be asked to exercise or because my gym is outside and I live in the north. So, you know, it's snowing, it's raining, any of those things. And you just say, oh, my God, I've got to go out there and I've got to do this. But you do it and there's such a sense of achievement, even though, you know, it's not a massive thing but it still does at least give you some sort of like little pat on the back and, and let you know that maybe you're not completely useless after all. Yeah. You know, you can do these little things. Um, and also it's a good time for me to clear my head. Like this is good thinking time. Yeah. I started uh, running with my daughter. I haven't done a lot of it yet. Mm. I, I, well, I was always so self-conscious as a child and like no one played sports with me or anything. So I've got this, like proper aversion to like you you know you will never see me run like no one I know has ever seen me run anywhere you know because I never do anything like that and mostly because I think like uh, I'm quite tall and I feel quite really self-conscious right uh, and I'm fucking awkward and I fall over and if if there's a ball being kicked it's gonna hit me in the face or the nuts no matter even if it is a mile away and uh, so I just have this aversion to it, but I'm starting trying. I'm tentatively trying just because I know it's uh, really good for your mental health. Mm. Um, and and then also it's good for your self-esteem, right? You know, if, like, if, you, look, if you feel like you look all right, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I'm generally quite skinny. Um, but 
yeah, I feel like it's probably worthwhile. But what is, there was something else you, you said in the book that it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't medication, it was something else that you swear by, like a tablet or something that you take. I'm sure Tyler something or other. I was trying to remember it. I, I have, um, beyond the, you know, prescribed medication, I take uh, supplements to help up there. Um, 5-HTP, which is quite a common one. Uh, theanine. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, which is really good. Um, what else is there? There's I can never pronounce it because it's got a really stupid name, but it's um, I can't even remember what it's called at the moment. Can I just nip off? I'll get the thing. I'll show you what it is. is that all right? Yeah. There you go. You read it. I can't read it. Is, is it focused? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> Look at me. I'm like, ah, <laughs> no, I can't read it. Uh, DL Laline, Something yeah. like that? Dielphenilaline. Oh, right. Phenylaline. Uh, <laughs> There's too many syllables. Yeah, there is. <laughs> so what are they? What, what's the that? So what, what are they exactly? What feeling? The other one you said. Five HTP um, basically helps your with the production of serotonin. Right. My problem is that I don't have. I mean, most people that have a um, depression, you know, it's yeah. it's based around serotonin. Yeah. So I don't have much serotonin, and so five HTP just helps you produce a bit more. Um, Theanine is it's an amino acid and it just helps with your stress levels um, and it helps you see things a bit more clearly. So instead of if you've got loads of stuff coming up or just in front of you and you're feeling overwhelmed, it kind of just helps you pick your way through it and just see it just in a calmer manner. Yeah. Um, so for example, like whenever I go away, I get really stressed with all the things like the packing and stuff like that. It just seems like all these, you know, all these things that have to be done before you get on the plane and fuck off somewhere. Yeah. And that used to really stress me out, but I take the L-theanine and it just lets me stay calmer. Well, you just, um, when you feel like stress coming on, or you take I, I just take it daily. I just, <laughs> everything that helps, I just yeah, take yeah, it, yeah, good, yeah. I just shovel it in. Yeah. This stuff I discovered more recently, um, and again, it just helps with stress. I can't necessarily, it's not like we're, with L-theanine, where you can definitely say, oh, this is how it helps with stress. Yeah. This helps in a much less specific way, but quite a lot. So I would recommend that, certainly. I certainly wanted to cover that because, yeah, I remember you mentioning it and then I, I saw you put some stuff on uh, Insta, I think, and I thought I definitely want to ask about that because um, that kind of stuff's really useful for people to know, I think. Like, that's kind of easy wins, isn't it? Easy wins. Like, why wouldn't you give it a go? The amount of supplementation that I take is absolutely ridiculous. Because, <laughs> you know, I... I 
sell supplements as well and and since i was like since i started working out i've been teaching myself about supplementation so i know a lot about it um uh, so yeah i mean this stuff i i would go for this stuff more than i would go for the medication that i'm prescribed because i think that this is more effective really yeah well, medication well, about because all of this stuff is stuff that your body produces or or gets from food it just may be uh, you know maybe it's just not able to you know extract it in quite the quantities that it needs or i mean something like vitamin d which is a really helpful supplement but it's, it's a fat soluble supplement uh, supplement so it's really hard for your body to get the amount that it actually needs which is why it's a really good idea especially you know if you live in countries without without much sun it's a really good idea to supplement with it so all this stuff is is natural it's there in your body anyway it's just a case of you know see it like a little graphic eq where you're just yeah. like, <laughs> nudging it up in little bits and pieces until you get the perfect level for you because everyone's going to be different whereas the um you know the stuff that you get from the doctors that's not natural that that's creating a bit more of a chemical you can feel it's chemical can't you you know like like when you change meds like you come off of one and go on to another like i've done that and like, i felt like properly strung out like you yeah. know know that there's chemicals in you mm. getting around around it i'm gonna give some of that a go you know i really am oh yeah i highly recommend there's another one as well i can't think at the moment exactly what that is but i'll drop you an email <laughs> and like give you what you know ones that i would suggest that that you took um something else i've been trying now for a while is um testosterone replacement therapy because i'm you know of an age group where your testosterone levels you know get much lower as you get older yeah. but but for men you know testosterone levels are quite important so i've been on um trt for about 18 months or something now. What's, that? What's, what's that then tablets um it's they start you off on a gel to see how you are with that and if that doesn't work then it's injections oh really yeah. fascinating so what you have to go somewhere no vicky does it oh really yeah like every other day i just have an injection of um uh, a steroid called or testosterone called enanthate but there's uh there's several there's three that they tend to prescribe you and they all will have different different ways that they they do their job and how have you found that has that impacted like is that you know you know it's doing something yeah if you are i mean basically male biology once you get to 25 you know historically <laughs> um you're useless you've done the baby making <laughs> so now by the time you're 40 you should be dead but of course we live much longer than that yeah um but from the age of like 25 your natural testosterone levels start dropping and the thing is it's unhealthy for a male to have low testosterone levels you know it needs a certain amount it doesn't need to be a raging raging ball or anything like that but but it's it keeps you healthy it keeps you keeps your you know your muscle strength there it keeps your like your skin and stuff like that elasticity in your skin it gives you energy so of course as you 
people, you know, they get into their 40s and they start getting really fucking tired and stuff. And they just think, oh, this is, you know, just because I'm in my 40s and I get tired now. But it's not. It's just that your testosterone levels have dropped down to a point now where they're pretty much having no impact on you. So you just need to top them up. Oh, I'm interested now. I reckon my testosterone levels have been like really low since I was quite young because I've always been tired. Yeah. Uh, and I've never had like a lot of get up and go, really. I think, right, let's something, It's something in this country that we just don't seem... I mean, we'll, we'll accept quite happily that women have like the menopause. Yeah. Um, the male menopause comes on a lot earlier. Um, and with women, you know their estrogen levels drop in menopause and then they start growing beards and going bald and stuff. So they have, you know, they have HRT to sort that out. Yeah. With men, you know, they need to have TRT to sort it, mm. sort it out and to oh, find, yeah. to find right. the right balance. But in America, it's, it's you know, they're, they're much more up on that sort of thing because I, I guess there's the financial incentive over there, you know, to just keep coming up with, with new things. Yeah. Um, but here it's, I, I went to the doctor about it and I said, do you know much about TRT? And he looked blankly, he said, what's that? And I had to explain to him what it was. So I thought, this isn't very good. So I basically went private. And you just, you have a blood test. It reads all your levels. And then from that, they can see, you know, what's up and then they can prescribe you accordingly. Did you um, follow what they said or did you decide to drive home? Reminding you of this story in your book about when you went private. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking, that was so gross. <laughs> <laughs> ah! It was gross. <laughs> it reminded me, and, and that was another one when it reminded me, um, you know, you said like uh, you didn't have the proper anaesthetic, like you didn't get kind of knocked out for it. Yeah. You decided to go with the injection. I actually have um, an operation on my ass, and uh, I stupidly decided that I could drink water, surely, beforehand. Um, and it turns out, no, you can't drink anything. <laughs> uh, and then they went, you'll have to go home then. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, can't we, is there anything else we can do? And they went, well, we'll just inject you, like like you had, just uh, local anaesthetic. Mm. Fucking proper mistake. Agony. <laughs> when you said that story, oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, I know a bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's it didn't hurt. I was, I, was, I was completely off my tits. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Well, okay, yeah, I wasn't. I was just in fucking pain. And I was going to sit down. I just remember after once it kicked in, and I'm laying there, and I'm realising there's this guy, and he's just cutting me up, and I'm going, you're just like a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great when you've got someone yeah. who's like, you know, yeah. there with the scalpel. Yeah, that really made me laugh. I love that. Yeah, that awful, yeah that's a bit of me. So then, um, yeah, we're going to have to wrap up. Um, what I wanted to do was, I, the other thing that I really like about you, Theon, is that you do things your own way. You know, like, I really admire it when people, they don't, feel the need you know like everyone just trudges along with the person behind them and does what everyone else does and you know like you said before about not really having like you work don't you but you know you don't you're not following the normal convention with work and then 
I just really like that. I find that really, like, that inspires me. You know, people who do things their own way and they don't feel the need to just fucking follow along with everyone else. I think I was quite lucky. My, my granddad had his own business, which was much, it was a much rarer thing back when I was a kid in the 70s to know somebody who owned a company. That seemed like such an amazing thing. And, I, and it sort of made me realize, oh, you don't need to work for other people. You can just work for yourself. So that was it. I thought, I don't care what I do as long as it's not working for somebody else. Because I knew I just didn't have, you know, I wasn't cut out for people telling me to do stuff and me agreeing with them on a long-term basis. So... So, yeah, I've just, the amount of companies that I've started over the years, you know, the big long list of things that I've done to try and make money is quite uh, ridiculous. But you do. You do make money and you're doing it. And like, I think that's really cool. Mm. I felt the need to say that. And the yeah, other thing I wanted to ask is what car are you driving now? Uh, it's, it's, it's not a Porsche. It's still the um, Range Rover. Oh right! I didn't know if you still if you still had a Porsche. My next door neighbour, uh, when you were talking about the Porsches, I'm like, oh, what one's that? Because I knew a 911. Mm. Um, and then I looked at it, and my neck where where I grew up, um, the house behind us, he had a red one of those with the pop up. Right. Um, yeah, and I was like, oh fuck yeah! I used to look at that car and think, oh, one day mm. I have one of them, but in black, obviously, because everything I have. I like to be in black. Yeah. I do want another one, but um, I mean, where we are here, it's a really, really remote rural location. Yeah. And it's, it's a good few miles until you get to a decent road. And, you know, I don't have a garage here. And I, don't, I look at them and I think, oh, I could get another one. But then I just think I'll just be looking at it when it's all like pissing down with rain and it's covered in mud and I'll just be feeling sad, sad and sorry for it again. And yeah. It needs a new home. So. I'm going to fix it. Well, that's about it, mate. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Stay in touch. If ever I can help you out of anything or if like you're ed- doing you in and you want someone to make a suggestion i am here likewise you know if if um if you or anyone out there you know ever wants to get in touch i'm always um happy to be a sounding board um or you know i I guess being in the doing the, the band thing one of the things that i've liked the most is that i've had people like in prison write to me and stuff like that where they've have been having like you know they're in prison they're having a fucking shit time yeah. and i i become pen pals with them for a couple of years and just try and you know help them out not you know just not even necessarily giving advice but just trying to help them see things with a slightly different perspective yeah um I, w- I wish I could do that sort of thing more for myself because, you know. I know. <laughs> but, um, it's true. Like, we're, we're always kind to other people. Someone said this to me recently. You're always really kind to everyone else, but mm. you're never kind to yourself. And it's like, treat yourself how you would treat someone else if they were having a hard time. Yeah. That's, really, that's fucking true, that one. That's hard mm. to do, but, yeah, it's important. It is. But yeah, so I've, that's one of the things that I've liked the most is that over the years, I, I know, you know, that I've helped people out and, and people have let me know that. And, and that 
is the biggest pat on the back out of everything that I've done. Yeah. That's the stuff. Just, just knowing that um, by me opening up at a time when, like yourself, you know, people, you know, men need to open up. You know, unfortunately, I've I've lost some friends through exactly the same disease, and it, it fucking destroys me that even though I was in a dialogue with them, you know, that day for whatever reason they didn't reach out and I might have been able to have helped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's one of the good things about, you know, the sort of thing that you're doing is that just know that somebody out there is, is listening to one of your podcasts and you know, it's changed their life and it's made them realize that there's another way and they don't have to suffer. Yeah, and like exactly, you coming around here is exactly the same, you know. Like, even just having like an open conversation about suicide, it's like mm. people just don't do it. It's like, actually, it's all right, you can, you know, yeah. it's like we can do it, we can talk, it's fine. It's well, especially, good. I mean, now our age group is the most vulnerable one, it seems. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier on that the you know the man is is basically biologically <laughs> and historically useless by the time he's this age and i think we kind of know that deep down and we're fighting some pretty strong urges i think yeah that's so true i never really thought about it like that mm. i feel like it, it for me like getting a bit older um i found it quite nice mm. it, um, you know, like you just suddenly like a lot of that's gone. You know, like the pressure and shit, and like you've got to do this, and and then in some ways getting a bit older was all right. But then, then I had a point when I'm like, well, I've got a semi-detached house, I've got two kids and a wife. Oh shit, what do I do now? Mm. Uh, and I think like I did have a bit of a meltdown at that point, and I think a lot of that prompted me doing this in some way. So this like, yeah. oh, this is what I do now. <laughs> you know. Talk to people. Mm, you channeled it in the right way, anyway. Yeah, I think so. But you have as well, mate. You have as well. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I, I knew I would. I knew I knew it would be good. So I, I can't thank you enough, Sion. I really, really thank you so much. And um, how do people um, find your t-shirts, your supplements? You know, like. Uh, well, don't do the t-shirts anymore. <laughs> Sold the t-shirt company a couple of oh, years. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just, you know, Facebook, Instagram, any of those places, just forward slash Lord Zion, um, which is L-O-R-D-Z-I-O-N, then uh, you'll find me. Thank you so much, mate. Yeah, shout anytime. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is enough of Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 